Speaking of light, I actually like the dark. Not gray and overcast like our weather the last couple of Thursdays, but really, really dark. Ever since I saw the movie Wait Until Dark, in which Aubrey Hepburn portrays a blind woman who knows her way around her apartment by touch and who uses darkness to her advantage when coping with some very unpleasant visitors. The idea of knowing my surroundings well enough to navigate them in the dark has appealed to me. Darkness can reduce distractions and help us to concentrate. That's why when we pray, we typically close our eyes. And to listen more closely, like to music or a sermon, we do the same thing. Darkness can sharpen our non-visual senses of hearing and smell, taste and touch, and heighten our awareness of sound, aroma, texture, temperature, weight, shape, and size. One of my most memorable experiences of total darkness was 12 years ago when I visited Hezekiah's Tunnel in Jerusalem. It's an ancient tunnel bored through the rock, probably to divert water from a nearby spring away from the Kidron Valley where a besieging army could have used it as a water source. Hezekiah's Tunnel snakes 1,750 feet through solid rock, a passage that's just about six feet high, it's a little shorter than I am, and just wide enough to walk in with cold water rushing over your feet up to your knees the entire way. It may be that the project went over budget because Hezekiah's engineers failed to envision its future use as a tourist attraction and thus neglected to install lights for the benefit of its visitors. If you want to know the meaning of absolute darkness, take a walk through Hezekiah's tunnel and switch off your headlamp. You cannot see your fingers an inch in front of you. And if you'd like a similar experience of complete darkness without having to go to Jerusalem, you can talk to me after the service and I can show you a place right here at Messiah, which at night affords a very good approximation of it. But choosing to spend short periods of time in the dark and being compelled to live in darkness are two very different things. No one is happier than I am that as of the winter solstice four days ago, our days are at last getting longer. Last night we heard from Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Today's Gospel reading from the first chapter of John speaks of Jesus as God's eternal word, an expression of God to his fallen creation and God himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. 
the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus is that light, the light of the world who dispels the darkness of our sin, self-deception, sloth, and estrangement from God. No darkness, physical or spiritual, can quench or overcome his light. Jesus' birth was the dawning of a new day for the human race. The arrival of our Savior meant the beginning of the end of our captivity to sin and the dominion of death. His light streams out from heaven's open gates to those who trust in him, scattering darkness, bringing hope to the desperate, peace to the fearful, joy to the desolate, and love to the malicious and apathetic alike. Baptized into Christ, we become bearers of his light in the world, illuminating its dark corners and welcoming those who dwell there into God's kingdom. It's a great privilege and a great responsibility. We have this treasure in jars of clay, writes the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Or, as I learned it in the King James Version, in earthen vessels, something ordinary containing something extraordinary. This hidden treasure is the light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. We may think of ourselves as perfectly ordinary, and as sinners, we may not feel like we're casting very much light. But God, nevertheless, makes it so. We don't have to glow or to do anything extraordinary to cast light into our dark world. Consider in closing how the light of apparently ordinary human presence gave one of Earth's most desperate inhabitants, the journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, hope and a reason to live. Writing in the February 2nd, 1970 edition of the Observer newspaper, Muggeridge recalled on a sultry, steamy African night, with a good deal of stale booze washing about inside me and a stronger than usual sense of the futility of most human endeavor, especially the fringe activities in waging a war, I decided to make a once-for-all exit by swimming out to sea and never coming back. The water, when at last I began to swim, was tepid and treacly, with heavy moonlight falling leadenly upon it. There were sharks about, as I well knew, but in the circumstances it seemed foolish to give them a thought. I swam on and on until I began to feel drowsy, a precondition of drowning as I had read somewhere. A rather nice end, I decided, falling asleep in the sea. Then I decided to have one last look at the shore and turned over on my back for the purpose. How very far away it seemed. I could just see the lights of a cafe I had sometimes been to, kept by a Greek, called Peter's Cafe or some such name. The place was always ready to stay open indefinitely as long as there were customers buying drinks. So there must be someone there, I decided, easily imagining the scene. The scruffy waiter half asleep, a party of drinkers out on the terrace overlooking the sea, maybe playing dice or cards. Peter the Greek himself, 
seated stonily behind the bar. And it was these drinkers, the rattle of their dice, their screwed up eyes as they looked at their cards, Peter's hard, avaricious face that beckoned me back. I realized with a kind of ecstasy that the earth was my home and that they and all men, my fellow internees. As I struggled back to shore, fighting off the somnolence and weariness, now fighting off the somnolence and weariness now, instead of surrendering to them, I felt great joy at returning. It was a joyous homecoming, even after I had finished with the water and was struggling exhausted through that seemingly endless waste of black, soft mud. Thenceforth, I never doubted that every life must be lived out to the end, just as King Lear must be played to the end, that to interrupt or terminate the performance is to rob it of its point." End quote. Sisters and brothers, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and our world needs his light. As the testimony of Malcolm Muggeridge reveals, God uses even extremely flawed messengers like Peter the Greek and like us to illuminate and bring hope to his world. For sending us Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and for the privilege of bringing his light to our dark and waiting world, thanks be to God.